I will be the first to say I also had that for my early to mid 20s. If I met somebody and they said that they don't drink alcohol, I almost automatically thought, am I going to enjoy spending time with them? Are they going to be my people? Welcome to the Brown Girl Podcast. This show was created to elevate the voices and perspectives of dual identity South Asians around the world. Here we have conversations on topics and issues that impact our community, as well as share the stories of personal successes and the struggles that often go unsaid. My name is Julie George, and I'm your host. Hey, everyone. Welcome to episode 41. I cannot believe we are more than 40 episodes in. Today, I have the pleasure of welcoming Aishwarya Balaji. So I actually met Aishwarya when I had hosted a dinner back five or six months ago at my apartment, and I just thought she was so cool and had such great energy, and I am excited that she's on the podcast today. Aishwarya is a serial entrepreneur who is experienced and passionate about building businesses in alignment with personal values and goals. She's the CEO and co-founder of A Fresh Sip, which is a community and e-commerce platform that allows people to easily discover and access non-alcoholic spirits, wines, and beverages. She also runs a second business simultaneously doing coaching and consulting for entrepreneurs and content creators who are looking to pivot and scale their business. So in this episode, we delve into her background in corporate and how she moved into entrepreneurship. We spent a good chunk of our time talking about sober curiosity, which is tied to the mission of her company, A Fresh Sip. So we learn what this movement is all about, what all led her down this path, as well as advice and strategies for those wanting to explore more mindful drinking. As you can tell, Aishwarya is someone who juggles a lot of different things. She's also an advisor and mentor for tech stars, Startup India, and MIT Launch, and we get some glimpses into her day-to-day and how she juggles various various responsibilities through morning routines, mindfulness, meditation, and so much more. Here's our conversation. Do you prefer Aishwarya or do you go by something else? So I go by Aishwarya or Aish. Um, okay. Honestly, like half my friends call me Aish. People that grew up with me call me Aishwarya. Like it really just depends. Okay, yeah. cool, cool. So we're going to chat about a lot of different things today from Sober Curiosity, the company that you started a fresh sip i know you do a bunch of other things so tell us your background like i'd love to hear about some of the other companies that you've started and the coaching that you do and things like that yeah absolutely so i have been in the startup space for almost a decade now and prior to that i was a management consultant working with consumer products and tech from there i joined an ed tech startup as their first employee and then i got pulled into doing some stuff on the venture capital side and And then from there, um, I ended up launching a blockchain innovation lab focused on global development back in like 2017. And that was really cool. It was like the time where, you know, Web3 and blockchain was just starting to be in its like inception. So building a team out for that and kind of doing a lot of R&D to identify things. But I would say like my sweet spot's really identifying trends before they go mainstream. And I kind of think that's like the thread that's kind of continued throughout my career. So really was early to the ed tech space, similarly to the blockchain web three space. And I got pretty like burnt out when I was building that. It was a lot of like noise and mad actors. I kind of got sick as well. And so that kind of prompted this whole health journey of like really aligning my passions and my purpose and took a step back and kind of fell into coaching and consulting. 
through that process. Um, we can definitely go into that a little bit further. But with a fresh sip, we noticed, me uh, and my co-founder, we noticed this trend happening in Europe of non-alcoholic beverages being, you know, kind of created and, and people looking for options. And we felt that, and usually Europe is a slightly ahead of the States. And so we were like, you know, I think this is going to come to the States. Why don't we test it out? Let's build a small community and see if, there, see if it bites. And so I think, again, kind of looking at what's new, what people are getting excited about, what trends are shaping our community and kind of building from there. So that's kind of been my journey. Now, uh, I obviously run a fresh sip, but I also have my coaching and consulting business, which I work with entrepreneurs and content creators mainly. And I help them kind of not only monetize their business and find product market fit, but do it in a way that's very aligned. So um, I've trained in a lot of modalities like EFT tapping, Reiki, human design, meditation, mindfulness, all the esoteric stuff, matching that with the tangible and kind of putting it together. So that's my long-winded but short summary of my background. Hey, podcast fam, I want to take a quick break here. Personally, I've been on a mission to move toward investing in higher quality pieces that will stand the test of time. I was starting to get tired of buying low quality items that wore out quickly. This goes for jewelry as well. That's why I'm so thrilled to partner with Sonu Company, a premium jewelry brand that shares a commitment to high quality craftsmanship. Sonu was founded by two South Asian sisters, Pyle and Kajal Vida. Their goal is to educate customers in their buying journey while also retaining their commitment to sustainability and transparency. From classic necklaces to elegant bracelets and the most stunning customized engagement rings, Sonu's collection has something for everyone. Visit their website today to invest in the perfect piece that's authentic, beautiful, and built to last. Visit www.sonucompany.com. That's S-O-N-U company.com. They also have a special code for listeners. Use BGP15 for 15% off your order. And now back to our episode. Yeah, I love that. Okay, so a few follow-up questions. How long did you work in you know, the corporate management consulting route before you decided to go into entrepreneurship? Yeah, so I was there for about three years. I was really, really fortunate because right out of college, the first project I was put on was an international project. And I was splitting my time between the Empire State Building in Manhattan, Paris, France, and Barcelona, Spain, mainly. And yeah, as a 21-year-old, doing that just sounds amazing. Yeah. Or right, like you're like taking business class, you're living in these fancy hotels, and I'm like, oh my God, like my, like I'm just so excited to be getting all these perks. But the thing people didn't realize was I was mostly in like a cube in a conference room in the middle of Barcelona where you step out, you see the beach. But did I ever see the beach? Maybe like once or twice a week, max. Most of the time I was like working 15 hours in this like little conference room. So I learned a lot. And I again, I was fortunate to be able to lead teams when I was super young, but I was selling my soul and that did not feel good. And I knew that I had this entrepreneurial spirit. I knew nothing about the startup world, but I knew that was something that I wanted to delve into. Yeah, that's amazing. So with a fresh sip, tell us a little bit about the company. Are you guys making your own spirits or is it more like a distributor type platform? Yeah, so great question. And I'll tell you kind of why we ended up doing what we're doing today. So as I said, when this space first started to like come together, we wanted to see where there was the biggest need. We saw a couple of products being created, de-alcoholized wines and beers and mixed cocktails. And we were debating, do we want to create our own product? And when we built a community of folks that were interested in, you know, basically 
cocktail alternatives or non-alcoholic alternatives to your typical cocktail, um, we realized that there were a lot of people that were struggling to get answers. They were struggling to find the things that already existed. And from a business standpoint, yes, we could have launched our own product, but we wanted to do something that would support the entire vertical. This is a completely new industry that was getting created. And we figured it would be easier for us to not only support the vertical, but also win by being that overarching support to the industry. So we actually decided against creating our own beverage early on and decided that we would be an aggregator, a curator, and a voice of like authority within this space. So creating that community, um, from that community, the community basically told us what they wanted. And what they said was, hey, look, it is really hard to not only find non-alcoholic options that are good, but it's difficult to be able to decipher whether they're halal friendly, whether they're gluten-free, whether they're pregnant friendly. There's so many specifics within that that were hard to, to for people to find. And so yeah. we built our platform to cater to those preferences um, and health conditions and also be able to say, hey, I want beer or I want something that tastes fruity or this or that. So that's kind of what we built our platform with in mind. Um, and from there, we started doing pop-up events and you know, worked with festivals and worked with like different like corporations and kind of just snowballed from there. So it's it's been a really amazing experience. Yeah, I love that. We'll definitely delve more into the, you know, the mission and the non-alcoholic space in a second. But with a fresh sip, specifically the company, do you have a team? Do you have co-founders? You know, who's all involved in the behind the scenes and the operations of running the company? Yeah, absolutely. So File is my co-founder. File and I actually went to college together. And I know a lot of people say like, hey, like it's risky to work with a good friend. And I agree with that, to be honest, but it worked out really well in our case. And I'll tell you kind of how we came together. So both of us had our own health journeys where we had to cut back on drinking or completely eliminate alcohol for a period of time. And um, as I said, I've been working with different entrepreneurs and companies over the last few years. And one of my clients was a health tech wearable company, a pretty large company. And I was helping them expand a market segment. And they really needed some support on the marketing and branding side. So I called to Bile because I knew that that was her wheelhouse. And I said, hey, it's a really cool opportunity. Do you want to come on board for this project? And she came on board. And over the next six months, we worked together and we worked so well together. And it was really cool to see that, you know, not only did our friendship kind of grow, we were able to like really like separate that and use that as an advantage by working together. And we're like, OK, we work really well together. We should explore doing something. And a fresh sip came from a place of serving our passions, but also being like, hey, this is something fun that we can do. It wasn't supposed to be a full blown startup, to be honest, um, but it kind of fell into that. So that's yeah. kind of our co-foundership kind of emerged from us, you know, back at Boston University, we were on my, we were on a follower team together. So it's like really crazy that like a decade later, we get the opportunity to build this together. Yeah. Well, so did you experience any kind of like growing pains with starting a business with someone who's your friend? Yeah, for yeah. sure. That's right. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, I think it's inevitable that you're going to kind of, it's like, it's, it is a relationship, right? Like I'm spending hours a day with, with her. I think the difference is this isn't this wasn't my first startup. I've worked with people in the past. I've also seen what works by supporting other companies. And I knew that we had to have several conversations before we started working together and have those conversations again and again, probably every month, every few months to make sure that we're on the same page. 
the biggest challenge, like not the biggest challenge, but I'd say that one of the most important conversations we had early on was what do we want out of this? Are we trying to reach for an IPO? Do we want this to get acquired? And I know those are crazy kind of conversations to think about exit strategy when you're first starting, but it's so important because the amount of work that it requires to do an IPO ready business is very different from like building it from a small business standpoint. Do we want to raise capital? Do we want to bootstrap? And also allowing those answers to change, right? Like as we grow, as the needs change, as we change, that can that can change. And so we have those conversations at the beginning, make sure that we're aligned with how much time we want to invest in this, how much effort we want, what, what this could look like. Why are we doing this? Is this coming from a place of ego or is this coming from a place of like passion aligned with like our expertise and and allowing that to evolve and shift um anytime we have like a major like event or a major like launch we take so much time after that happens to do like a post-mortem where we go through everything that we did right points of contention points where we argue break it down say like hey like i didn't love how we handled this um whether it's working with our team and things that we could have done better or working with us internally and I think not a lot of people take the time to really reflect on what's not working. Um, and we're super transparent. It was funny. I actually spent two hours just talking to her, FaceTiming her this weekend. And and I was talking to, I think she was talking to her boyfriend. I was talking to my friends. And I was just like, yeah, I like caught up with Bile. And they were like, don't you talk to her every day? I was like, yeah, but like we were talking as friends. We were just catching up. So it's really yeah. funny that like even after like a 60 hour week or whatever, we still want to like just hang and like yeah. talk and catch up. Yeah, that's amazing. I think the business relationships that are successful are the ones where there's alignment from the beginning, big picture things, what you're both trying to get out of it, your working style. So that's that's really amazing. So switching gears a little, one of the reasons that I wanted to have you on was specifically to talk about sober curiosity and that's kind of the mission that led you to starting a fresh sip. I think that's some newer terminology, at least for me, but it seems like it's, you know, definitely a concept that's gaining a lot of popularity and traction. So tell us what sober curiosity is exactly. How how would you define it and how does it differ from traditional sobriety? Yeah, again, hitting me with a great question. Um, so with sober curiosity, the difference mainly is that it's you're exploring your relationship with alcohol. You're not necessarily cutting it out from, uh, I cannot, no, I can no longer have alcohol because of health reasons completely or because it's affecting my mental health or my well being. But it's really just reevaluating, re exploring that relationship with alcohol. And that could look very different for many people, right? Sober curiosity could be you having one drink a week. It could be you having one drink a month. It could be you not drinking at all, right? But it's you kind of questioning and intentionally. Uh, choosing whatever relationship you want to have with alcohol. And I think we have spent generations where we are so apt to just autopilot drinking a glass of wine while unwinding or like going to a bar and grabbing cocktails to catch up with a friend where we, it's so built into our societal fabric that we don't think about it. And this is just questioning why and what that looks like and not feeling obligated to engaging um, unless it's something you actively choose to do so. And there's nothing wrong, right? It's not about shaming. Right. So it sounds like there's not really a ton of rules around it. It's very much just exploring 
less out like exploring the benefits of less alcohol without necessarily committing to a completely alcohol-free lifestyle yeah it's a personal expression yeah i think that's more empowering because similar to dieting you know like i, I worked in the nutrition and fitness space for a while when you have a very restrictive diet and it's very black and white all or nothing that often causes people to like binge and you know it leads to disordered eating and things like that and so i feel like with drinking when it's your choice to stop drinking alcohol or drink less it's a lot more empowering because you feel more in control and it's not stemming from this like scarcity all or nothing mindset it's like it's not like i have to do this it's i get to do this yeah absolutely and it's it's one of those things where it's giving people permission to explore their relationship with alcohol and i think that was a big thing missing where unless you had a real reason not to drink people felt like they didn't have permission not to drink oftentimes right it's i am pregnant i am on medication for religious reasons whatever that looks like yeah was there a specific event in your life that led you to become interested in the sober curious lifestyle i know you mentioned you experienced a lot of burnout during those earlier years and that's what led you to kind of exploring you know shifting your health patterns is there anything else that you want to expound upon that? And then also, what was your relationship with alcohol before? Yeah. So back in end of 2018, 2019, beginning of 2019, I was like in the height of building my blockchain company. I was living in SF. I'd moved from New York to SF. And yes, I did get burnt out. But a part of that burnout was also my health kind of went to shit. And so a part of that process was me having to reevaluate and kind of like I I've always been more to explore like a holistic way of you know fixing myself rather than go into a bunch of medication or some extensive surgeries so I really was exploring can I remove certain things from my lifestyle and so what I ended up doing was I cut out alcohol completely for that year uh, I stopped drinking coffee so got rid of caffeine I went gluten-free I also switched all my products, makeup, and skincare to non-toxic products just to remove any endocrine disruptors, and it made a world of a difference. And so, yes, it was very drastic for me, and most people do not do what I did, but it was, it was, it was really crazy and super impactful. So one of the things you kind of have to explore when you stop, at least when you focus on the drinking portion, when you stop drinking, where alcohol was like a very regular part of my life before is how do I navigate social situations when my friends still really love to grab drinks when they go out and how can I be comfortable being myself? And so you really do have to do a lot of internal work to get comfortable with who you are so you don't need that liquid courage to yeah. you know, kind of make you be the person that you wanted to be, but you needed that help. And so there was a lot of like internal work to kind of work through that. I was really blessed to have friends that were really supportive. Not everybody got it, but I think since I had the guise of being able to say like, this is from a health standpoint, they were a little bit more off my back. I know that if you're just doing it and you don't necessarily have that, depending on, you know, friends, they may or may not be supportive. But at the end of the day, nobody asks why you like, you know, are drinking water or why you're eating this or why you're eating that. This is the only thing where they're like, why aren't you doing this? So it's kind of getting comfortable with like your own why, but that just takes some time to actually question it, right? Yeah. Um, so that was a big piece of it. And and as I said, like I would consider, I would definitely consider myself to be sober curious. I have maybe like a couple of drinks a year, but it's a very intentional choice and it's for 
the experience of that specific cocktail or of that winery or of that whatever experience. It's not because I need some liquid courage because I'm out with friends. I still go out. I love to dance. I am there with my friends if I do choose to go out dancing on the dance floor until the wee hours. But I don't need to drink to enjoy myself. And, you know, I'm going to tell you, I wake up feeling great. (laughs) Yeah. No, I love that because so for listeners backstory, how Aishwarya and I met was you had come to my apartment back in December for a dinner and we had met through like a mutual friend. And I remember you and Demka had come over and you were like, I don't really drink, but you know, you were willing to try that cocktail or whatever it is that I made. Um, And then we had briefly chatted about sober curiosity and a fresh sip and all of that. But that was very refreshing and a very memorable moment for me because I personally don't have that many people in my social circles that are actively exploring this sober curious lifestyle right so it was really cool to see you just like normalize it because I think subconsciously that made me feel like oh yeah if she can normalize not drinking and still be cool as a cucumber (laughs) then I can do that too right after that I did dry January and I don't really even drink that often. So I remember when my boyfriend suggested doing dry January, I was like, I mean, sure, but it doesn't make that much of a difference to either of our lives because drinking isn't a big part of our lives to begin with. But I was like, yeah, sure, let's do it. You know, whatever. I will say that that was great from a mindset standpoint because it got me in the habit of seeking out alternatives when a single glass of wine would be so easy to reach for, right? Like that was a great exercise to kind of kickstart this mindset shift for me that I've been exploring the last two or three months. Um, Like I feel like meeting you and then immediately after doing the dry January, it it actually got me very interested in sober curiosity. And I would say now I am actively trying to, you know, be more sober curious, but Well, you Uh, are. You're already questioning it, right? So you are sober curious. It's not like this goal to become sober curious. Like question it once and you're already there. Yes. So, you know, like some of the shifts that I've seen that I've been doing, like just in my personal life is, for example, when people invite me to their place for dinner, my go-to is to bring a bottle of wine. And now I try to bring kombucha or coconut water or something else that I know people would enjoy, you know, or like if I go out to dinner, I noticed that pretty regularly when I'm out at restaurants, I'm ordering a drink because everyone at the table is ordering their drink. When in reality, I would be a lot more satisfied drinking something else. I'd be a lot more satisfied just drinking a Diet Coke or whatever. And so there's been like a handful of times in the last two months where I'm at a restaurant and I'm actively choosing to not order an alcoholic drink because I actually don't want to. And I don't know, it's like a nice feeling, you know, it's like a small victory in my mind. It it feels like a good kind of like personal win and personal challenge. I love that. And there's two things that you touched on that I would love to expand on. So the first one was you kind of talking about your own subconscious or inherent bias that you might have had towards people that, you know, are not drinking. And I will be the first to say I also had that for my early to mid 20s. If I met somebody and they said that they don't drink alcohol, I almost automatically thought, am I going to enjoy spending time with them? Are they going to be my people, right? And I think realizing that those are two very separate statements was a game changer. And I'll say Gen Z 
views alcohol as what our generation viewed smoking and cigarettes. Yeah. So like that's wild that w- the way that we kind of look at smoking is how the new the younger generation is viewing alcohol. They would rather film their content um, and their morning routines than be hungover and <laughs> sleeping in bed, right? So it's so it's interesting in terms of that shift of what it means to kind of question your relationship with alcohol or just or not drink. But yeah, I think being able to be the example or invite examples of people that are doing a lot of interesting things and might not be indulging in alcohol all the time is a, is a way to kind of break those stigmas. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And then the other thing that you had said was, sorry, remind me what you just said, the second thing that you were talking about. I mentioned going out to restaurants and ah. to be choosing not to order a drink and also trying to normalize bringing non-alcoholic drinks like kombucha or coconut water or whatever else when people invite me over to their place as opposed to defaulting to a bottle of wine. Yeah. Absolutely. So this is where it gets really fun with a fresh sip and with a lot of the different things in the market right now because kombucha and coconut water and all of that's great. Getting a water or a tonic with lemon is fine, but they give it to you in a different glass. You don't get that experience of sipping um, a complex cocktail, right? And so I think the beauty of these like hundreds of brands that are now in the market are actually to give you flavor profiles that are elevated, that are that take that craftsmanship that the mixologist is making with all of the different notes and being able to give you a cocktail that is either no alcohol or even potentially low ABV. And so that's been a really cool experience, right? To be able to say, here's some de-alkalized wine, de-alkalized beer, but also here are some really incredible like tequila alternatives, whiskey alternatives, and we can make a bomb-ass margarita and it doesn't have alcohol in it. And so that's really cool to be able to see a lot of menus and restaurants and bars have that. And for us to be able to like have those different options to have something to drink. And so you still have that experience. Half of it when you go to a restaurant is not just for the food. It's for the ambiance. It's for that experience, the experiential kind of feeling. And so that can be really exciting as well. Yeah, totally. I definitely resonate to what you mentioned, like being in your 20s and being in environments where everyone is drinking. Like I definitely remember at work, like, you know, before COVID, when we were actually going into offices, geez, it feels like ages ago, but... (laughs) Drinking was such a big part of work culture, at least my work work culture, like happy hours every freaking week, going out at night during business trips, drink, oh my gosh, the drinking at business trips was crazy, you know, and you definitely would feel like the oddball out if you weren't drinking and there'd be this like sense of judgment. And then you have like the alcohol pushers where they're pushing alcohol on you and they're like, oh, come on, just have a drink, have one more drink. It's just one. And honestly, I'm probably guilty of contributing to that some of that myself in those years as well, which now I think about and I just cringe. Um, but, you know, now it's like cool because you can be out at a bar or a restaurant and enjoy these elevated non-alcoholic drinks and they're giving it to you in the same kind of glass that everyone else is. And so you don't feel like you don't feel like you're the oddball out because you're choosing to like not drink, you know. So it's really amazing that all of these options are out there. One thing you mentioned was like the liquid courage. And I definitely think that a lot of people, including myself, can can relate to that. What kind of advice would you have for people who want to drink less but still be able to navigate social situations? So there are so many different ways to approach this, and I'll give you a couple. Um, one is to kind of set the precedent beforehand. And I know people might be 
it, like, I think this is kind of like setting boundaries and upholding them, which is a whole nother topic in and of itself. But being able to say, hey, like, I have a super early morning. I am not drinking tonight. And saying it in a way where, like, you're setting that tone and you're not kind of, like, you show that you're not really, like, allowing for that wiggle room. Often we're like, oh, I don't, I'm not really, like, feeling like I want to drink tonight. But, like, when you say it like that, you almost are inviting people to be like, yeah. just one, right? So, like, being a little bit more firm in how you how you talk about it. Sharing with your friends if you're open to it, saying, hey, I'm kind of, like, reevaluating my relationship with alcohol. I'm really actively trying to cut back. Get them to actually, like, see that. And so let them be supportive in that journey. But we actually on a Fresh Sips Instagram page, we have a bunch of like specific statements and sayings that you can tell people. I am blanking on right now, like off the top of my head. But I would say if you go to take a fresh sip, you can see a bunch of statements that you can actually respond to people or set the tone in case you are kind of getting ready to go to a situation where you know that there might be some pressure or it might be difficult, but you want to try to kind of maybe cut back on drinking for that day. Yeah, I know one thing that really helped for me kind of bringing it back to like the fitness world. But when I started on my personal fitness journey, like I was really trying to cut down on eating out and going to restaurants because I was just eating out at a ton of restaurants for events, happy hours, dinners, etc. And I remember for fitness reasons, I was like, I want to cut down on restaurant outings. And one thing I did that tremendously helped was being the organizer myself. So initiating and organizing events that didn't center specifically around restaurants to kind of, you know, sort of like set the precedence, right? So if, if friends and I were talking about hanging out, I would try to be the one to initiate the plan centered around something that was like, oh, let's go walk around the park. Do you want to come to a yoga class with me and we can get coffee or a smoothie after? And like nine out of 10 times, people were like, oh my gosh, yeah, sure. Like that sounds amazing. Let's do that. It was never really an issue. So I think that like really went a long way. And I think you can apply a similar approach when you're starting to explore socializing without alcohol. Yeah, absolutely. I think one way, like two ways to do it. One, you can bring non-alcoholic anything, right? Like a, a cocktail, a wine bottle, whatever, if you're going to a friend's place. So one, you're, ex you're kind of like allowing them to experience it. But two, if you need something to drink, you have it. And then the other side is if you are organizing a dinner, like in any major city today, there are definitely restaurants or bars that have a zero proof non-alcoholic menu. So look ahead of time and kind of make sure that they have something so you can just order it. They all have different names. You don't have to say, hey, can I get a virgin this? You can say, hey, can I get this spicy margarita named whatever? And they will give you that non-alcoholic version and nobody would even have to know, right? Sometimes you don't even have to make a big deal out of it because it's not a big deal. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. So it's, yeah, exactly what you said. If you were trying to be healthier, you would choose a place that had healthy options on the menu. If you want to make it easy for you to have non-alcoholic cocktails, find somewhere in, find somewhere that has some great options. Yeah. How do you think that practicing sober curiosity has influenced your personal, mental, and physical health? One, I think I'm very confident and secure in who I am. I don't feel a difference, even if it is one of the handful of occasions that I do consume alcohol. There is zero difference. Like, my friends are not getting two different people, one with the person after I have a drink and one not. You're getting the same version either way. So for them, there's no incentive to tell me to drink. I am just as loud and vivacious either way. And and that's something that like gives me a lot of pride to be able to say like, I am who I am and I don't need, 
you know, substances to really affect or change that. The other thing is I have definitely become more of a morning person. Like I do enjoy going out and, and listening to good music or dancing, but my morning routine has evolved a lot. And yeah, I would I would say part of that is because of cutting back on alcohol. But I think in general, just like getting in touch with myself and, you know, medita- meditating more and just kind of having like a more Ayurvedic lifestyle has been a really big part of that too. Yeah, I um I totally resonate with what you said. Like, I'm also a morning person and I naturally am an early riser and my creative brain works best first thing in the morning. Like, after 10 a.m., I can't do anything creative. Like, see you tomorrow kind of thing. And so I I know that about myself and so I schedule my day around that. But, you know, I went to a restaurant last Friday night and it was like this Italian artisan pizza place. And that night I was like, I actually want a glass of wine. And this was my first drink in probably two close to two months. Yeah. And I had the worst sleep. Like I found out on how much alcohol messes with your sleep, you know? And I had literally had just like one glass of wine, but I woke up in the middle of the night and then I couldn't go back to sleep. And then the whole day, you know, I like planned for this like very productive Saturday. And I I was I wasn't hungover. I just felt like I was dragging and my eyelids were just heavy. And so I think like that's like one big thing that I've noticed about alcoholism. For me, it really messes up the quality of sleep, which then that impacts my next day and things. Sleep, gut, clarity, brain fog, skin. Yeah, like alcohol does affect all those things. Like we've talked about skincare offline a bunch. Yeah. But yeah, like I think it does like allow your cells to kind of like heal and have space to breathe. Your gut thanks you and... Yeah, I could go down a laundry list of things that like are beneficial for not drinking, but also we're human. And and if that's something that like you don't want to completely eliminate, that's that's completely fine. And I think the whole point of this is more optionality. It's not saying alcohol bad or alcohol good. It's literally saying here are more options for you so you can figure out what relationship you want to have and what you feel like doing in this moment. Just do it off of autopilot. Yeah. How do you see the future of the non-alcoholic industry evolving over the next few years? It is just the beginning, but it's going to be bigger like than the next gluten-free vegan trend. The vertical has already exploded. We launched mid-2020. It's 2023, and over the last three years, it has completely shifted. Landscapes have changed. There are so many articles. There's so many like news clips. There are so many people on TikTok and Instagram talking about their changing in like their relationship with alcohol. We're seeing bottle shops pop up. We're seeing non-alcoholic menus places. We're seeing these different new options at all these different folks. Like we did um, a partnership with Netflix a few months ago. And last year at South by, we had a massive ad after Tito's talking about the super curious movement and having this huge bar serving non-alcoholic cocktails. And we had a full line of people wanting to try them. And so you're like, this is, it's here to stay. And it's really exciting. During the Super Bowl, there was like, we didn't do a commercial because I couldn't afford that. But uh, I think Heineken had a commercial talking about their non-alcoholic beer. And so like, this is here, like if they're promoting that during the Super Bowl, you know that it's not going anywhere. And so this is a completely new vertical. This is something that people are trying to experience, want to experience, but we're seeing it from an industry perspective as well. I want to shift gears a little. I mean, I think like from what I see based on the content they share online, you know, you're really committed to personal development, personal growth, which we are 100% here for. 
you know, I know you've been like a speaker for TEDx, which is so dope. What does a typical day in your life look like if there is such a typical day? I have never. It's like perfect way. I will tell you. I think because there is never a typical day, I have had to anchor into my morning routine like no other. The days I don't have a solid morning routine, my day like gets thrown off. So like I do everything from like dry brushing to like cold plunging a couple times a week to like trying to make sure I do me like meditation and yoga. Um, I actually got trained as a yoga teacher uh, last year. And I think all of these different modalities that I've trained in is really to serve my growth journey. And yeah, like I think that's the morning that I like have to set because then once I do that, I have the energy to be able to like show up for my meetings 100%, get the work that done that I need to do and kind of plan. I think when you are running two businesses, right? So I run a fresh sip and I run my coaching and consulting business. You have to be able to prioritize and be able to wear these different hats and pull from what you need. And so that has been its own journey and experience. But I think you do need to anchor to be able to do that without burning yourself out. And I have been through burnout and I didn't want to do that again, which means I need to be building my life in a way that serves uh, my internal desires and allow that to shift as I evolve as a human. Yeah. As an entrepreneur, how do you create structure in your day? You know, like what are the tools or mechanisms that you put in place to stay on course? Because when you're doing the corporate grind, you have structure that's created for you. And when you're doing your own thing, you yourself have to stay disciplined and create that yourself. So how do you like work through that? Yeah. Trello is my best friend, which is a project management tool. It's super simple. It's not, it doesn't have all the bells and whistles that Asana does, but to me, that's better. It's basically like a Kanban board, which has a bunch of tasks. And I definitely use that a lot to kind of manage my life. The other thing is Google Calendar. I know there's these two sound really basic, but like I try to schedule as many meetings as I possibly can because it needs to get out of my head. Anytime I have too many things in my brain, it's like too many tabs open. My like brain processor just works too slow. And so I need to get things on paper and out there. Uh, so even with some friends, sometimes that I haven't caught up with a while, I was like, we'll schedule it on Google Calendar just because it's easier. And then I'm like, okay, I want like, this is somebody that means a lot to me. So I'm going to put it on the calendar. So it happens. So the more we get out of our head, the better it is for everybody involved. I also know when I'll have a lot of energy and when I won't. So when I know that I'll be lower energy and I know that I will be as good as doing like, I don't know, writing or like whatever, like by myself work, I will schedule meetings during that time because I know that I get energy by talking to people. And so that will force me to like level up and share more energy versus the morning times. I might schedule one meeting just with my, with, you know, usually internal team, but then the rest of the morning is for me to get work done. That's just like heads down, whatever thing I need to do. The other thing is I try to keep days and like periods of times where I'm working on a fresh sip versus other things uh, apart. Because if I have to switch back and forth too much, I lose energy and momentum in that process. Yeah. I feel like I always think there's like two types of people in the world, the people who live and die by their Google calendar and the people that don't. <laughs> so um, yeah. that's funny. I totally resonate with that. So you mentioned you were a yoga teacher. So where like what are all the different jobs that you had and what are all the places that you've lived? Because I think I think you told me when when you were at my place that you were in Bali for a while. So <laughs> the rest of the rundown, like tell us okay. where, where in the world you've been. So end of 2019, let me paint you a picture. I burnt out, sick, 
all the things, but was like healed, but or it was like healing myself through, you know, all the things that we talked about earlier today. And I shut my company down and I went on a 10 day silent retreat as people do. And it was what they call a Vipassana. And I did it in Northern California, close to Mendocino, if you're familiar. And no talking, no speaking. I will no, yeah, obviously no speaking, no talking, no eye contact, no writing, no reading, no electronics. And we would wake up at 4 a.m. and we'd go to bed at 9 p.m. And so you would probably think that I was like an avid meditator before then uh, because I was sitting there meditating for 11 hours a day. But no, I probably meditated like maybe 20 minutes a day for like a week prior. And like that was probably about it. It was one of the hardest experiences of my life and one of the most rewarding experiences. I learned so much about how my brain works, how I think about things how many thoughts are so unnecessary that take up so much of my headspace. And it really built a warm, deep relationship with myself. And I would recommend anybody that is open to it to do that at some point in their life when it calls to them, because there were so many things that I got out of it, which I could talk about for days, but for the sake of time, I won't. And so coming out of that, I had really fallen in love with myself and I thought I was going to work in like get a job in tech right I shut my company down I was like living in SF I was like all right let me go to Bali for a couple weeks and I'll come back and work in tech and I went to Bali a friend of mine joined me for the first two weeks and I had an extra week and I was like you know let me try nomading around and I am sitting at this place in Bali and I got invited to go to this new moon circle and I had never been to anything like it. I go and I just felt like I was supposed to say, stay. And I, every part of my rational brain was like, no, you need to go home. And there were like five or six things from like where I was living to my tickets, to money, to job, to like everything that I didn't have figured out. And I just put it out into the universe. I set that intention during that new moon circle. I said, hey, Bali, Mama Bali, like, I feel like I'm supposed to stay here, but my rational brain is telling me to get back to SF and look for a job. And she basically, and I gave her, I said, like, I have a flight in five days. If you give me answers to these five things, I'll stay. And within the next two to three days, I had an answer to every single one of those things, which to me built a trust with the universe, like yeah. gave me permission to surrender when control was something that I like had grown up trying to keep. And that process just like, I will say, changed my life ever forth. And so I ended up staying in Bali for a few more months. And I came back to SF the day SF went into, it was just the beginning of 2020. So the day San Francisco went into lockdown, came back wow. to SF. Yeah, it was wild. But it was crazy because my Bali experience and the Vipassana had given me such a good relationship with myself that I was chilling for the beginning of the pandemic. I was like, I can be here by myself. It is fine. And when I was in Bali, I literally, and this is going to sound crazy, I manifested a bunch of clients. Like I was sitting in a coffee shop. Somebody came over to me and asked if I could help him like build out his business because he heard what I was talking to my friend about. And, wow. and I was like, wow, like people see value in my business expertise and they want me to support them. And that's actually what started my whole coaching and consulting business. And from there, I ended up getting three or four clients at my time, like when I was in Bali, Brought the, a couple of them, stayed with me over time, uh, came back, built out that business. I ended up doing new moon and full moon circles throughout the pandemic online for people. And it was a great way for people to come together. I like really drank that Kool-Aid of becoming super West Coast hippie, if you want to call it. Um, 
And yeah, and so I came back and I was like, wow, like being, like I lived in Boston, New York, SF. So highly intense places growing up and going to Bali and realizing that people are building badass things, but they're taking time to step away and watch sunset gave me permission to reevaluate how I built businesses moving forward. You don't need to burn yourself to the ground to build something that is successful. And you don't need to build something that is not aligned with what gives you joy. And I think those two learnings were just like life changing. Yeah, coming back over the next couple of years, I decided that every year I wanted to spend a few months, at least, at least a month in a different country. So I ended up moving to Mexico for four months after that. And last year I lived in Costa Rica for two months and I wasn't planning to do a yoga teacher training, but such is my life. I fell into doing a yoga teacher training when I was there and, and it was an incredible experience. And uh, I think yoga is not just about physical, but it's about mental and emotional and spiritual and being able to like learn all of those different things have been really, really beneficial for my personal life, but also kind of applying that to my coaching. And the last thing, and oh, uh, just to kind of jump back, Reiki I trained when I was in Bali. And in the fall of 2022, I got certified as an EFT tapping professional, which is using somatic um, techniques to help remove pattern blocks and, and limiting beliefs. So all of these different mechanisms that we think of as woo or that we think of as non-tangible that actually are providing us so much resistance is actually what we need to move past to see success um, in the short term and in the long term. So I, that's my, that's a little bit of um, a little dive into my personal life. <laughs> yeah. So across all of these different life experiences, what piece of advice do you have for someone who's maybe in an exploratory phase of their life and they're trying to be more mindful about living and figuring out their passion and purpose in life? Follow your curiosity. Like plain and simple, if something piques your interest, double down in it, like tap into it, figure out why that's piquing your interest and allow yourself to change, right? Like I think we often have our identities as very fixed things. Like I am a dancer, I am an engineer, I am this, I am that. And we're so focused or even I drink, right? Like we're so focused on living that identity, but we have to realize that we evolve over time and that our identities are meant to evolve with who we become. But that only happens if we follow our curiosity. Yeah. And um, yeah. Yeah. I love that. Like if you have an ingrained in your heart, that is there for a reason. And then also like we're allowed to rewrite our narrative, right? Like we don't have to you know fit into this box that society or our community tells us that we have to be in. Like I was having a, a conversation with one of my best friends the other day and, you know, she had left the corporate life and she went into doing her own thing and in interior design and she's really, really killing it in that space. And she mentioned to me, I kind of want to do DJing. And I was like, go do it. Like, that's amazing. Like, go do it, girl. Like, just because you already made this huge shift out of corporate and now you're doing this realist, you know, this interior design thing or whatever, it like, doesn't mean that that's what you have to do forever. Like, we are allowed. The beauty of life is being able to evolve and explore different interests and different hobbies and like continue to 
change, you know, like the best people in life are the people who have stories and stories only come from just going for it and exploring your curiosity and just doing things right. One last question. I know we're almost out of time, but I'm trying to ask my guests this more regularly is what is one thing that is bringing you a lot of happiness these days? Mm, I love, I like this question. Um, so, okay. So I get really happy when I see the sun. So like sunrises make me super happy. Sunsets also make me very happy. And I actually chose this spot that I live in because I could see sunrise from my bedroom and sunset from my balcony. And that gives me a lot of joy. And the other thing is matcha. I love a good matcha. And if I'm ever grumpy, if you if we're ever hanging out and you notice that I'm hangry or grumpy, get me a matcha and I will be literally all smiles. <laughs> yeah. Do you make your matcha at home? I do make matcha at home, but I've also gone to probably every cafe in Austin um, and tried their matcha. <laughs> Got it. I love it. Well, thank you so much, Aiforia. I loved our conversation. I seriously love meeting like people who are just doing dope things in the world. And so it was so nice talking to you. And I'm so excited for people to hear this conversation and get to know you. Oh, one last thing. Tell people where they can find you. Oh, absolutely. So you can, uh, I would say Instagram or TikTok is probably the easiest. So I am at the Aish on Instagram and I am at the Aish Fairy on TikTok. And if you have any questions about a fresh sip, uh, it's at take a fresh sip on any social platform. Amazing. We will go ahead and link all of that in the show notes. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed today's episode, please take a moment to subscribe, rate, and review. You can also connect with us on Instagram at thebrongirl underscore podcast and all other social media platforms listed in the show notes. Thank you again. I appreciate you being here.